0: Welcome back to another episode of the Valley Deep Mountain High podcast. As always, if you come across the podcast, not via Instagram, then please do head over to Instagram and follow at Valley Deep Mountain High, which is where all of the main content can be found. I'm joined today with my brother, Mark, where we're going to discuss uh, a couple options on different uh, medical kits, IFAC kits and trauma kits and the difference between them and some key training that is required, Um, just our own experiences and you know our own views on them, so by no means quick disclaimer. are We telling you what to do and where to do it. You know we always recommend getting official training. If that's fair enough, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, I think that's one of the key things probably to start with. That to be honest. Yeah, so um, I'll I'll list off a few bits that I've done, and then Mark will more likely take lead in some of this, giving current stuff. So training. First off, let's just jump straight into it. There's loads of different courses that you can do. Uh, all dependent on where you're going to be what job you're doing all that sort of stuff um the bare minimum that you should have before you have any first aid kit is a first aid course whether that be like a one day heart start thing or your general three day first aid at work so obviously I've done like first aid at work heart start all that sort of stuff but then I've done rec first aid which is first aid to the outdoors and then the most current one that I've got is my trauma qualification which is rescue trauma and casualty care which has been specifically built for the search and rescue team and it's used for the fire service and police but i think you can touch a bit more on that when you when you do your bits in it mark so about yourself then go on yeah so um again from my past background um i think like the military they have their own set of standards for medical training all people you know you see quite a lot who you know i'm not undermining what uh training people have had when they've been in the military but it's all geared towards a very specific Type of patient, uh, very specific set of injuries. It's all geared towards basically battlefield injuries. Yeah, that's that's um, fair enough in it. And like you see, a lot of people sort of, especially in the world of um, that we're in, um, you know, our sort of circle of of people that we know, and and a lot of it on social media. Is people will rely on. Uh, I mean, any training is is good training, I would say. You know, but it's got to be current. But you do see a lot of people who sort of go, "Well, I did my my team medic." qualification in 2007 and like yeah. well a lot has changed in yeah. that time you know I, th- I think that's one of the key things now i mean <clears throat> things have changed a lot in the past like first aid's now, co- now taught as part of the national curriculum in some schools uh, yeah i know the company that i used to work for we delivered heart start as part of our curriculum that we would deliver to young people mm. um partly because as a company we felt that it was an important life skill that people have you know i think is a very you know, as a bare minimum, people should know how to do the recovery position, what to do if someone's choking, um, what to do with uh, things like asthma, anaphylaxis. And these are the sort of things, I think, where um, if you're reliant on training that you've done for a very specific thing, such as trauma care or battlefield injury and that sort of stuff, they're not really the things that you're going to come across in daily life as a, as a civvy or working in the outdoors, even. Yeah. I think people forget that the standard sort of first aid problem that they would deal with is even to be a family member, someone that they live with, um, a work colleague in the environment that they're in. Um, and in the outdoors, it will still be these things such as like sunburn, anaphylaxis, asthma is a big one, dehydration. Yeah. Burns when cooking. Burns, yeah. Yeah, burns is a big one, yeah. Um, hypo and hyperthermia as well. Um, and again, it a lot depends on the environment that you do in this sort of, you know, your outdoor experience and whether you're doing it in the UK or if you're doing it abroad, that also touches on a couple of different things with what you can and can't have in your first aid kit. So then um, when you buy a first aid kit in the UK, some but very few will come with drugs in, as in, and it's mainly just things like paracetamol, ibuprofen. That's it. Yeah. Over the counter medication. Whereas when you work abroad, the licensing for drugs and things is very different. So some countries you can buy stuff like codeine over the counter um other pain relief, um even down to things such as like, you know, anti diarrhea medication and, and stuff like that. You can buy over the counter and carry. And vice versa. You know, if you travel into these countries and you don't have a prescription or a licence to carry certain medications, it's a prison sentence. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I I listened to a uh I can you know, I think it's worth noting now, like early on like I work in the pre hospital sector as part of my employment now. Um I work for an ambulance service. Um and I was at a conference um last year for wilderness and expedition medicine specifically, uh, well, wilderness, remote, and expedition medicine. It was, and, and there was a guy there who'd done this epic adventure where they basically done uh, seven marathons on seven continents or something like that, um, and he he was saying about um, the complexities of basically when they ran in like the Antarctic, they could have every drug going that they wanted, but then when they were flying into a desert region, like you know. Saudi or somewhere like that yeah. basically that's a ditch a load of meds on the plane because it was illegal to land with them there yeah. so it, it was an interesting <laughs> an interesting topic really to, to see but yeah I think that's the main thing the training's such a big one um, like you say you know, there's that many different first aid things now if you've never done anything anything's better than nothing yeah but, I mean <clears throat> touch on that I see, I see quite a lot especially in, in, in the world that I'm sort of in and you know working with other people and other companies and things like that you see a lot of people who like I'm gonna I'm gonna go over a few bits in a second about what what is typically carried in a mountain leader first aid kit, um, specifically aimed at group working because mm. they're a little bit bigger than what a standard pocket first aid kit, and we'll go over them as we go. But you see a lot of people sort of being like, "Well, I carry tourniquet okay, and, and you know hemostatics, yeah." But have you had specific training that is current on that use? Mm. And I guarantee you could ask most of them and they'd say, "Well, I did it when I was in the army."
1: Mm. Yeah, but
0: that is I know doing the level of trauma care that I do now to what I did when I was... It's totally different. I actually have training and understanding of how it works, whereas then it was just, this is how you apply one, put it yeah. on. You know, it's, and it's, you know, you know as well as I do, it's, it's a very different realm. Yeah, and like, I think a lot depends on, again, like I say, what, what you're actually going to be doing. You know, if it's all, you're going to carry all of it wherever you, when you, whenever you're doing your expedition, you know mm. about being rock climbing, mountaineering, you know, kayaking, sailing, whatever. This item has to go with you, so you kind of have to do a a risk assessment based on your training and, and yeah, experience. Exactly. Whether you're actually going to use it. Do you know what I mean? Like when I went to Sahara, I didn't, didn't carry tonic in my, trauma, in, in, in my trauma kit, in my first aid kit, because I thought, what are the odds of me getting a limb threatening or major hemorrhage on this expedition? What I do need is things that are going to help me. I need electrolytes. I need blister care kit. I need sun cream. I need all, all these other minor sort of first ail- ailment type things they what I needed in my kit. I didn't need, you know, uh, chest seals. I didn't need trauma dressings because the chances of me having to use it. And you find that now when people do um, a lot of wilderness medicine at altitude, you know, they have to kind of weigh up. Well, do we take... I don't know if you've seen them. Um, basically, it's like an oxygen tent that goes over a stretcher. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like a hyperbaric chamber to treat um, altitude sickness. Now, they're an amazing piece of kit. They weigh an absolute ton. Yeah. And you have to weigh up. Well am I going to use this or is it going to be better to take this person down? You know, or even better still, is it better to catch this person when they ca- when they present with this ailment and treat it at point of injury almost mm. rather than like develop to a point where, you know, they've got edema and they need to be in a chamber. Well, they're brilliant, but as soon as you put them inside one of them, your patient care almost stops because every time you open it, you have to repressurise it. Yeah. So again, you know, a lot of people who do stuff like it at Everest Base Camp or, you know, in... You know, the high alpine sort of style climbing, they weigh up their their threat need. And um, you know, even in like this more serious sort of medical kits that you'd see go for your expedition doctors and things, stuff like a bag valve mask, they'll probably just take a pediatric one because it's smaller, it weighs less, it does exactly the same job. The tidal volume that you deliver when you squeeze it is almost the same n- normal rate with what you'd use for an adult. And again, these are things that have changed because all the research and what's current goes that way. And that's what's important when you talk about what first aid course you, you're going to get. It has to be relevant to what you're doing. So although we're saying, yeah, any training is better than no training, first yeah. aid at work is different to rack first aid and first aid in the outdoors. It's, it's pointless going, I'm a first aider, when you don't have the right qualification to work in that environment. Yeah. And that goes with everything. So if you was going to work offshore as a medic, just because you was a nurse or a doctor or you know, a paramedic, EMT you know, trauma medic, anything, unless you've got your offshore medical qualification, no one's employing you.
1: Yeah, exactly. Where it doesn't matter how
0: much experience you've got. you know, Exactly. You, you have to have the right piece of paper. And, and like, <clears throat> always, you know, it's something that I'll always refer back to, saying like, well, any is better than no training. Yeah, quite rightly so. it is because the basics that keep people alive are going to be things like recovery position, you know, um, CPR, those sort of things, you know, for a life-threatening, time is life mm. moment. What I'm trying to get at is obviously, you know, you don't want people carrying stuff just because... They think it's the cool thing to do because you do see that a lot. You see a lot of people carrying tourniquets, and you're like, "Why are you carrying that?" Yeah. Like, yeah, I get, yeah, you know, I get it. I mean, like, so for my my, my vehicle—that's a perfect example. Obviously, you know, quite often you can be first on scene with search and rescue or whatever like that. We've got our own trauma kits. Um, in all the team vehicles, they're all sealed with medical gases and all that sort of stuff. I've got like a a slimmed down version of that trauma kit, so it doesn't have medical gases in it or any drugs or anything. Mm. But everything else is the same, and that's nearly always in my vehicle, or it's it's in the, it's in the vehicle when I go shooting and things like that. Because, God forbid, you know they're the type of injuries that you're gonna have to deal with. You know, if you know a multi car collision yeah. is gonna be, you know, big trauma, um, can need multiple stuff shooting, God forbid, you know, it was any, anything with a gunshot wound or, um, you yeah. like a flash burn or something like yeah. that. Um, but but guess- that's that's only because I, I know if I'd like, I've got the right qualification for it and consequently, the, the first time I put that trauma kit in my vehicle, uh, I was sat at the lights and a car ran a red and hit a van and like wiped out two passengers, you yeah. know, and yeah. that was the first time I've ever been like, well, I'm glad I've got this with me, you know, gloves on, pull socks on people, sorting stuff out and when, the first paramedic come, they were like, What qualifications have you got? to have all this stuff. So I quickly reeled off a few bits and they were like, Yep, crack on until yeah. everyone else got there and then it just sort of stepped away. I mean I lost a few grands worth of kit, but yeah. you know, I helped I, I helped out. <laughs> that's your thing as well, like it's pointless spending all this money on something. Yeah if you don't know how to use it. Ex- exactly. You yeah. know, and a lot of time with things like this, the knowledge is better than the gear anyway. Yeah, exactly. You can, you can do a lot with preventative care then you can, so like I was saying about the uh the expedition to the desert, preventative medicine is better than you know, doing it later on down the lines. So if you if you look at you know a sliding scale of what is this person's optimum health and then right at the opposite end of the scale, he's dead. At what point is it best to be looking after someone and yeah. their care and keep keeping them at their optimum. Obviously it's gonna be at the at the at the end where they're at the maximum fitness. So when we was in the desert, it was things like educating people about how to look after your feet, make sure you wear sun cream so you get sunburned. If you get sunburned, you'll be prone to dehydration. If you get dehydration, you'll be prone to hyperthermia. Um, you know, and you're just going to go downhill from there. And it was things like that people just didn't really realise. Uh, and you see it a lot in the UK. And you, you do see it a lot on the, the you know, unfortunately, the three peaks is a prime example of this. Yeah. How often do you see people outdoors in the wrong gear you know full well they've not at right on that day they're not hydrated they probably don't have their inhaler with them if they're asthmatic because loads of people don't don't carry it um you know and they won't have any sort of first aid kit with them to look after themselves i think we unfortunately live in a culture where people think if they ring 999 and ask for an ambulance that they'll get one instantly which sadly isn't the case you know it can take 20 minutes 40 minutes an hour or more sometimes for an ambulance to get to it especially now with the current state of the world Um, and that time is magnified massively when you're relying on on a voluntary service like mountain rescue if you get an injury um, in a less remote part of the country i wouldn't say snowden and Barris and stuff they, they have quite a fast response time because their base is located in the area but let's say if you went somewhere like scotland and you got an injury climbing one, they have to get to you in the first place. So that person's got to stop what they're doing, get all the kit together, maybe get to their base location to get a vehicle, then get from there to you, and then get from their RV point actually to you. So if you're climbing a really technical route and you have a broken limb, it's gonna be it's gonna be hours realistically before. This it comes is the to thing, you. yeah. Like so, for argument's sake, say I'm I'm two hours away from any any roadhead, yeah, yeah, and I and I have a, and an injury where it requires me to get mountain rescue. Yeah. now an air asset might not be viable to send out due to weather there might not be one available which is quite often the case so then they have to send a team of people to come and get you Yeah, you're looking at three hours oh, easy. easy easily three hours so like this is the thing like when we say time is life things are time critical in your decisions about what you do because it isn't going to be an instant fix no you know and even if you like me and you had a brief chat before about um like self-treatment of things you know it's fine being like, well, it's okay, I've got Mark with me and he, you know, he works the ambulance service, so I'm all, I'm all sorted. What can you actually do without all of your big bag of tricks and well, taking you to hospital? You know, you're you you know, you're limited. A, a prime example of this is, um, you know, my little boy has, has asthma. Um, you know, he had an asthma attack at home, quite a bad one, that needed hospital care. But I didn't have anything with me and I felt absolutely useless. I know what to do, um, you know, I know how to treat an asthma attack but without all of the stuff with us that enables us to do our job you just have your knowledge yeah you know and he needed to be in hospital relatively quickly i knew from my own experience it it would have been quicker just to take it myself yeah um but that being said you know i tried everything on and like i say that knowledge it was important i had it because i knew what route to go down to try and mean and maintain his current position, make sure he was okay until he got to definitive care. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think people take it for granted really that you have to have this, this background, you know, base, a base level of stuff. Yeah. Basically to work from. So I'd say for in the outdoors, especially if you're working with people, you should have a minimum of rec first aid. Which that's I think you know, you know more about this than I do. Mm. My qualifications are a bit more uh, you know, they're not as current as yours, I don't do that as much of that outdoor work now as you used to. But I know that our company that I worked for, every single instructor, if they were doing anything in the outdoors, regardless of whether it was climbing, or you know, or just being you, you know, I don't know, on a beach or in any open space. They had to have rec. And that was that was just a policy that we had. And it was a good one really because you knew that every instructor you was working with had the same base level. And on the plus side, all of the young people that we worked with, we all we were all qualified instructors. We taught them first aid as their first unit that they did with us. So yeah. God forbid anything happened to us. Yeah. It was the same when I worked for like the Princess Trust and like that, you know, one of the first things they did with with us as a group was do first aid and it's for when they go on the residential and, and stuff like that. But that's so I've, I've been harped on about training. I'm just going to just go off a few bits of like a basic sort of kit because having any kit is better than no kit, a little bit like having some training. So I think things that, you know, people need to bear in mind is sort of five key points really. Um, it should be simple. It should contain readily available items. So don't have everything like double and triple packed thinking you're going to keep it all waterproof. There's no point having to spend 20 minutes to get something that's, you know, it needs to be available to get to hand same again when you pack it. Um, try and get it where you can to be light in weight and small in bulk. Uh, I mean, if you're really good at playing like Tetris, you're really good at packing a first aid kit. My advice is if when you buy one, if, if you don't need to repack it, leave it packed as what it is, because some of them are like, expertly packed, really. Um, as far as possible, single items should be uh, have a number of functions. That's quite easy to do when you've had some good training, really. Uh, and it should be effective and comprehensive within the limitations obviously that I've just sort of gone through. Um, as a bare minimum, I'm just gonna rattle off a little bit of a list of what's in a sort of standard um, ML kit or or almost a an expedition kit, if you will, um, aimed at sort of mountain leaders for the outdoors and things like that, just because uh, I think it's worth noting for those who don't know. So uh, examination gloves, uh, and obviously at the moment as well, some, some protective masks would be, be great. Uh, scissors, first aid scissors. They don't have to be massive trauma shears but you know, a good pair of scissors is is key. Really, you know, you have to. There's always going to be a need for you to cut either items of clothing away or cut through <coughs> bandages and packaging and things like that. So yeah, yeah. Uh, ibuprofen or similar. Um, the reason why I say this is in like this type of first aid kit, obviously, is because it's an anti-inflammatory and a pain relief. So it's got more than one function. Uh, tweezers uh, and a tick key is really handy as well um antiseptic wipes um antiseptic hand cleaner and solution uh, are also really handy to have again you know proper pre-care of treating a wound could prevent further complications for the patient like further down the line Uh, a blister kit that just can be compete plasters as a bare minimum you know granted it's great having rock tape and zinc oxide tape but again unless you've been shown how to properly do that it's not just a case of whacking it on um, compede will, will do fine um, hypoallergenic tape now this is like micropore tape because obviously some people are allergic to the glue that's used in um, like elastoplast and things like that I, I thought that was a bit of a myth until I've seen it happen on someone and they, they get quite yeah. bad flares on the skin um, medical adhesive tape again that's that's different to that micropore tape it's, like, um, it's, it, it's, it's almost like um, masking tape uh, sterile non-adhesive dressings Um, and and, you know they're a variety of size like medium large that sort of thing Um, some wound closure stery strips they're handy to have but again you know you need some some basic training for for that sort of stuff Uh, safety pins then a variety of plasters uh, triangular bandage now this is a bit of a controversial one because things change all the time listed for what what should be carried in sort of an ml kit is a barrier device for cpr which is basically a one-way valve for doing resuscitation. Um, now there is an argument in place depending what training you're doing it that you don't have to necessarily give mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Chest compressions will will normally always suffice. I Me, mean, what's what's your view on that? Right, it's, like, it's still current that, isn't it? Yeah. So <clears throat> hands-on CPR has been a big thing for a while now, and a, mm. a lot of it is people weren't doing CPR because they were worried about having the fact that they would you know be required to do you know, what was known as mouth to mouth. Yeah. Um, Again, you know, I think it goes without saying, you know, this, you know, if it's someone that you know, you're going to do mouth to mouth, you know, um, when the ambulance service arrived, they do things very, very differently anyway. Yeah. The way that your airways managed is managed very differently to what it would be done in a, in a first aid situation. But yeah, going back to a first aid scenario, hands on the CPR would be good enough. That's what the Resuscitation Council say for the UK and Europe. Um, and yeah, I think again, like I say, it would be your choice whether you wanted to do it or not. Realistically, though, if you're needing to do, you know, CPR in the middle of nowhere, the chances of you getting that person back, uh, you know, sadly, very, very slim unless it's witnessed. Um, you know, it's yeah, this not gonna. Happen, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think what is really important as well. Uh, I know that I carry quite a bit of this in my actual trauma kit, like you know, for searching. Um, it's in my my ML sort of first aid kit as well. Is I carry like two good sharpie pens, um, a, a thick one and a fine one for writing on. God forbid, I have to, but for writing on people, uh, it's quite it's quite you know mm. you can't deny you haven't wrote down the time or something's applied if you sharpie it onto their arm or yeah. leg. Um, and um, a notepad and and you know waterproof paper for taking notes of things like saturation rates, respirates that sort of stuff. But we also carry things called an atmist card which is more for trauma care. Hmm. Um, now I carry in my medical kits and I've done a few videos on this as well on 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 the gram. Um, I've got prompt cards of the March algorithm, yeah. which is obviously uh, more aimed at trauma. But it's it's there because when you do have a, oh my God, everything's going wrong moment, uh, it normally will catch you off guard. Um and it's great to have a prompt, but if there's someone else with you who's having a bit of a flap whilst they're witnessing someone have a massive bleed or a big head injury, if you give them a card to read out to you, you might not need that knowledge of being read out to you, but it, mm. it gives someone a job to do to keep them out of your way effectively yeah. and managing whatever problem that they then might present to you because they either want to get involved and they've got no idea what they're doing um, or... They flap or freeze. So, mm. by giving him something to do, it's, it's handy. I mean, I've seen this with uh, that character that I was talking about. This guy was like so keen to get involved to yeah. the point where I had to turn around and be like, mate, you're actually getting in the way. Yeah. Like, you're causing a problem. Yeah. Like, I, I totally get you want to help. I really do. But if you're in the way, you're a problem. Yeah. So, move. And he just kind of like looked at me and was like, well, I want to help. We'll go and help by standing yeah. over there. You know, manage traffic or. Go away! Just, just get out. Yeah. You. It was that bad. There was a, so what the, these. So these. This family that hit this. This other car just is a bit of a backstory. There was a car at a set of lights, and then, then the set of lights cross uh, a dual carriageway. So the dual carriageway had gone on on red, and someone ran a light on the dual carriageway. So they side impacted this this car which had a an elderly woman in it, um, and. A guy who was probably about I don't know fifty. He was okay, but the elderly woman wasn't okay. You know, the impacts pushed her chair into the driver's side, but the woman who impacted, um, who who drove through the red light, she was not not in all the airbags went off. Her. She was not injured because she got out, and her daughter was was um, okay, but she's quite young, but was quite. Badly in shock, you know, law like loss of colour and all that sort of thing. In between sort of trying to deal with what was going on, we had this woman who was obviously quite hysterical that she'd run for a red light and nearly killed someone. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this turned out to be quite a big job. There was quite a lot of fire units on scene. The air ambulance had to come and there was loads of stuff that went on. Um, and it was a key point of being in the right place at the right time with the right skills and right kit to, to be able to help. I mean, granted, it's not something I want to be doing all the time because it's not nice treating someone who's injured, you know. Um, but this woman was causing that much of a flap. The fire service, I remember being like, oh, love, were you in that cash? You know, help oh, me come here and feel your neck. And this guy just kind of put his hand on her neck and went, oh, we're going to have to put you on a board, love. And like fastened it to a board. And I'm pretty certain they did it just so she was like out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, I think people wanting to get involved is a great thing, like, yeah, I you know. mean, I say that quite like my day job. You know, you go into, you know, someone's house or they've rang, rang for us, you'll ask someone what's wrong and you might have, like, three or four family members answering for them with all all their story of events. Yeah. So, some of the time they weren't even there when this person rang. So, although having the backstory for this person is sometimes useful, you know, they might be able to reel off stuff like their, you know, prior medical conditions or whatever. Yeah. But a lot of the time, like you say, they just unintentionally will complicate things or or get in the way um Mm. so it is important to kind of have that that clarity with with what's going on thankfully the sort of first aid that you're you're talking about in the outdoors that's going to be fairly minimal i mean i don't know about you but you know when i've been in the outdoors thankfully i've not had to deal with a lot of bad stuff Mm. um I had one or two accidents where it was broken bones or dislocations and things. And there were, enough, there were people that I'd come across in the outdoors. There were never anyone who I'd had with me, thankfully, touch wood. Um but I've dealt with mainly burns, camping stall accidents. Yeah. Burn, burns I'm... and sunburn. Sunburn's a huge one. Like um like I say, people just go, Oh, it'll be fine. They mm. can get quite if it's a if you're on a multi day trip, Sunburn can write off your expedition. You're yeah. On, and like uh, like Jonathan said on one of the other ep- episodes, people often pay a lot of money to do these things or invest a lot of time training, so to have it wrote off by a preventable injury is just yeah. ridiculous. Poor planning, really. I'm I'm lucky that I've never I've never had anything so so far. Luckily, I say this because I feel like you're always tempting fate. I've never had any accidents with anyone that I'm with, you know, in any groups or friends of that. But I've come across a lot of other groups or or just you know randomers sort of in the outdoors. You, you've been injured. Uh, and again, you know, they are, it's quite rare, they're going to be breaks and things like that, because a lot of people who are, you know, doing the sort of stuff that we do, are quite heavily trained themselves. Yeah. Um. That being said, obviously accidents happen, but it is, you know, mostly preventable things. I think what is frustrating about it is, like you said, you know, it's things like sunburn, well, that's easily solvable, don't don't get sunburn, put sun cream on, simple. And and the after effects that you could have after doing that a lot, you know, being, but then like I said, a lot of the stuff that you do deal with and, and my own sort of like, I I'd say accidents have not really required. Like, you know, any medical care I've had to obviously every now and again, put like a little bit of burn gel on, but because it's a, like any injuries I've had in the outdoors have either been minor cuts, um, cause it happens, um, or, uh, it's been burns and it's been like, like through lapses of concentration when you're cooking, you know, when you're cold and things like yeah. that, or, um, or, a typical one, my mate Jay, um, bless him, my top bloke, love him to bits, um, dropped a, um, a hot pot of water, as we were, because obviously, camping stores are on the floor, do you know what I mean, so he sat next to him, you know, he never should lean over him, or be stood up, that's like common sense, but I was sat next to one, completely out of the way, and by pure free cats, he knocked it over, now luckily, it went all over my boot, so I was like, and then most of it went up my trousers, which were waxed, so luckily, just like waterproofing <laughs> my but I kind of looked at him, and he went, sorry mate, accident, and I was like, mate, that would have been like, yeah. properly bad, you know, a burn to your foot, would have been like, pfft. but there was a girl, who was deployed with us, when we were away, Um, she um she knocked a kettle over on the floor, in a pair of flip flops mate, when yeah. we deployed, and like burnt her foot really bad, you know, Um, quite severe burns to hands and feet, would go to, would warrant going to, um. Burn care specialist. They're, yeah. they're, if they, if they're bad enough, they're limb limb threatening. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I I've treated, uh, I treated a guy uh, last year. He'd been, you know, he wasn't camping. You know, he was in his house. He'd been cooking with hot oil, and he, he slipped, and the oil went out of the pan, and almost tracked up his arm. And when we got there, and it had happened minutes before, we were really lucky that we were so close close to this person when they rang for us. Uh, he looked like he was gonna take off like a wax glove. It was the full outer layer of his skin. His hand swelled like two or three times the size it should have been. Um and, you know, and you know, poor guy, he was like, Well it doesn't hurt, that's a good sign, isn't it? And I thought it's pointless lying to you because you can see it's bad. I was like, No, that's a very bad sign. You've you've you know, you've potentially damaged all the nerves in your hand. You know, and I think on en route to a burn centre, he was like, Is it is you know is this going to be serious? I was like, you know, it has the potential, yeah, to be very serious. Yeah. You know, um, but more in the outdoors, burns are a difficult one to deal with because you've got to keep them clean. It's an open wound at the end of the day. Mm. Um, and pain management's not, not necessarily there, is it? You know, no, no. And like you say, like, you know, even in the, you know, the mountain craft guide, you know, it says recommendations, are, you know, briefing, um paracetamol, realistically with a bad burn it's not even gonna do anything yeah like, exactly they take 20 minutes to get into your system that's 20 minutes of being an agony if it's mm. bad enough um so i think most stuff where i've treated them in the outdoors they've been very minor burns like they touch something that's hot and it's you know burnt the fingers or whatever um but like you say you know i feel like you're tempting fakes sometimes when you say stuff like that. so i'm quite quite glad really yeah I um th- just on that, I think what's, what's worth mentioning because we're about halfway through. So, the difference between sort of the first aid sort of stuff that most people do and then like the stuff that's geared towards. um push, pushing on what? I mean, Pu- yeah, I mean. pushing on towards trauma stuff, but it can be trained as a civilian. So, like the trauma care courses. So, yeah. the one that we do with the team, and quite a few teams have adopted it now. I know that firearms officers it's in use for them yeah. and, and fire service are, are doing it as well yeah. so so attack rescue trauma and critical care um, developed to, to be delivered to a pre-hospital setting mm-hmm. um, where you're going to be dealing with a trauma injury which is completely different to you know your standard like you know little bit of a bruise minor cut or graze we're talking like severe limb loss you know life body, Yeah, yeah all, all life threatening things you know blood loss um, respiratory issues, you know, all that sort of stuff, and again, you know, it's having the confidence to be like, well, we're in this a lot, yeah. So, only carry what's needed. So, like, to the people who are out there carrying like, you know, a tourniquet in your outdoor expedition kit because you're sat in the woods building fires and stuff like that. Like, you have to ask yourself, is it warranted? If you slip with like, you know, an axe or, you know, a machete or something like that, yeah, you, you might, you might have an arterial bleed. You, you might. But it, it's it's unlikely that that's going to happen. Is mm. you know, if if you're worried that someone's going to hit an artery in their arm, or their leg, you're teaching them wrong. You're teaching mm. them wrong, like you know. So like again, easy easy use for teaching things like you know how to use an axe and that. If you're worried about someone swinging an axe around stood up, kneel down, and use a chopping block. Yeah. You know. Or don't use one at all. Yeah. Or, or yeah, just use a saw instead. Um. You know, so things like that. It's kind of like well, you're carrying it. Why are you carrying it? Or you'll carry part of a trauma kit, which is completely useless. So there's no point carrying a tourniquet because having that as your go-to option to stop a, an arterial bleed just tells me that you haven't had the right training of how to stop. You know, it's pressure first. Yeah. You know, yeah. pressure, direct pressure, indirect pressure. You know, could a wound packing do it? Well, yeah, that might. Well, do you have wound packing? Like, t- you know, tell me how you use, you know, Cellux or, you know, some sort of hemostatic. And if you haven't got any of those other bits and you don't add it, then you should be carrying some of this stuff. And not only that, you're carrying it. Show me a bit of paper that says you've done a bit of training. You know what yeah, I mean like exactly. if I was if I was booking onto like, you know, any sort of like outdoor expedition and someone said, Oh, we teach wilderness first aid um, or I carry, you know, I should just carry a first aid kit, fantastic, massive tick in the box. But they also carry these items. They'd be like, Well show me the bit of paper. Because yeah. you could do more damage than good, yeah, you know. It's about being responsible, I think. Yeah, you don't like, you not only that, people have rights, especially when it comes to their healthcare. Yeah. You know, um, you do something, whether you're acting in there, what you would deem as their best interest, if you cause them further harm in the long run, then, you know, they're well within their rights then to, you know, take legal action afterwards. If you yeah. do something that's made it worse because you've seen it on online or on a film or whatever, yeah. Um, you Know it's your own fault. I I, so I I can you know, I can, say that I know that when we've applied tourniquets, when we've been with like the team in a rescue setting, they've been needed. It's yeah. been a warrant because you can tell the difference between you know, yeah, a bit of a bleeding, but they're also squirting out. Approved in yeah. date, your qualifications in date, you've had the right level of qualification, you've had the right training, you're current, mm. you know, all of these things all build a big picture, you know. And, and that's what it's all about unfortunately um so yeah the level of first aid kits i think as a minimum you carry you know a, a minor first aid kit these are the sort of ones that you buy from an outdoor shop yeah know, a that, yeah, know, yeah do, it, it. a travel first aid kit Any, anything is better than nothing they basically consist of things like plasters um most of them now come with like like say sun cream
1: yeah. some
0: sort of burn gel um maybe a couple of dressings and something like uh a, a crepe bandage a k-band or something like that mm. then ideally if you're working in the outdoors spending time in the outdoors you want a more substantive one a mountain leader first aid kit would would be you know sufficient yeah. i think it's also really important that you know when you get these things you like we say building off your experience in the outdoors your experience experiencing your level of medical capability your training things like that um, i always add to mine so in my first aid kit that I carry in the outdoors inside it like say I've got um, a uh, a tablet like a scribe so instead of having waterproof paper mine's plastic
1: yeah.
0: Um I have um, sharpie pens in there to write both on that and on the patient Um, I have a head torch that's separate from all of my own kit that's inside the first aid kit the batteries in that last they've got a 10 year shelf life Um, so you know I don't have to check it loads but before I'm going to go and do any sort of big trip where I know I'm going to be out tension out in the dark i'll always check that as well there's also two um chemical light sticks in there um one for the patient one for me um and then with that again depending on the the time of year there'll be other things in there as well like a storm shelter um you know because a lot of the time a lot of what you're dealing with in the outdoors will will be mainly or made worse simply by exposure so like we're saying about you know you're treating a burn let's say someone burns the foot when they've stopped to make a brew, or whatever um the burn won't do'em any might not do them any harm. the fact they can't walk on it and it's throwing it down outside and it's winter that's what's gonna do them harm as well, yeah, so it's about being able to build this big picture and plan plan for having that, so I think it is important I know you say like um you know you don't open them unless you have to. you also have to know what's in there in the sense that you know, do we need to add to it? What's, what's good to have? Yeah. Um, so when I, when I, whenever I've done a big expedition, when I went to the Sahara, my first aid kit, I built myself. I didn't buy it off the shelf. Um, again, I knew I needed one that was going to be specific to being in the hot climate. Um, it was waterproof in the sense that I knew if it was waterproof, it would be dustproof. You yeah. know, the sand in the, in, in the Sahara was like moon dust you it got in everything. I didn't want that in any of my medical kit. Um, in there, there was things like uh, an extended sort of foot care kit for blisters, um, you know, again to stop things like chafing on like shoulders and stuff like that. You know, it was hot, dirty, sweaty environment. You know, you didn't want any sort of minor wound getting infected, so there was a lot of wound cleaning stuff in there. I had uh, Saline in there that was sterile. Um, and then I also had things that I wouldn't normally carry in my normal outdoor first aid kit. So I had uh, electrolyte liquids that you mix with water. Again, you know, although you did everything you can to mitigate becoming dehydrated in that sort of environment, it's not always possible to do Do is, when I say sun cream, that was part of my first aid kit. And, it, you know, obviously it's the desert. Yeah, yeah. Pop by nature. Yeah, you need it. (laughs) And when I say sun cream, it wasn't like factor 15 oil or something, you know, I wasn't there to get suntan. Um, I had like fact to NASA, you know, the stuff like astronauts use. Um, you know, having, having blonde hair and being you know pale. It wasn't the it wasn't you know not my environment really. I didn't want to look like a lobster, so I had the stuff like you know the astronauts having the space station. You know, <laughs> I look like ended yeah, up looking yeah. like that like guy from X Men. You know, the the albino guy that was being the desert like <laughs> head to toe in this white stuff. You know, like. They, you know, but again, you, know, I didn't, I didn't get sunburn when I was there, you know, uh, and part of that was I wanted to enjoy my time in the outdoors. I didn't want to be dealing with you know minor ailments or injuries, and then um, there was sort of a mixed sort of belief on what to do if you get like sort of travel type illnesses there, so like diarrhea and vomiting. You know, if if one person of your expedition group gets it, it's rife. So hand hygiene was massive there. So But it's massive um, now. Well it's, yeah, it's even bigger <laughs> now, like but yeah, but especially in these like Hand space, space. Yeah. But especially <laughs> yeah. on these sort of expeditions, you know. Um so I'd class things as soap, you know, that that went towards my, my medical counters that I didn't want to pick up. There's a lot of people who didn't know what soap was until COVID <laughs> well, came exactly. out. Um and then uh, you know, um like alcohol gel, alcohol, hand gel, you know, that should be in there as well. Yeah. You know, as a minimum like, when you're stopping to eat, you know, in the outdoors. Um, just stuff like that. Simple things are gonna stop you from getting these preventable things that will ruin your date. Then, anyway. well, this is you you know? Know? when, like, so, um, when when last last year when big corona first sort of hit and yeah, everyone yeah. Had, and then no one could get any hand sanitizer anywhere. I was okay because I knew that I had like hand sanitizer, my flood rescue stuff separately packed to everything else. I was like, well, it in there because obviously flood water is absolutely minging. Yeah, um, ninety percent like organic matter, so yeah fun yeah, um I, I knew that i had then i had i was like well it's definitely there's something in my car there's always been something in my car there's something like my normal kit when i go in, out anyway because obviously if i've got like the boys with me and stuff like that you know, everyone knows what like little boys are like you know they, they eat mud and stuff don't they <laughs> so you've got i mean that's Your a, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's the key point i think um anyone who's got like kids like young kids uh, and they're starting to take them into the outdoors Nine times out of ten, they're going to fall over, they're going to scratch their knee, bump their head, cut their hands, yeah. whatever it might yeah. be. Because especially little boys, because little boys are just a nightmare for doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. I mean, I've got friends who've got like girls that are the same age as my lads and they've not had half the injuries because they're not stupid. <laughs> like, not being that same on my boys here, but what I mean is that, like, oh, I can definitely jump off this. And you look at it and you're like, mm, go on then. You'll really do yeah. I would say the power of having. Um, some form of sticker, you know, some well done or be brave sticker, well, uh, and and kids plasters because have you I, ever noticed that like if you put a plaster on a kid, they might not even need one, but you put one on and they instantly like yeah, yeah loads better. Well, I've I've carried kids plasters in my first aid kit because of the the work that I used to do. I've left them in there and I've used them with adults because you know, like you say, you know, you have that person who's like the flapping a bit and they're panicking, but yeah. to them might be like you know, oh my god, I'm gonna lose my arm. To you, he's just. You just need a plaster. Calm down. Yeah, you know I've even been there. Don't worry, we'll fix you up. Here you go. Have a Star Wars plaster. That'll sort you out. <laughs> you know, um, you know, and it and it does work. You know, it does work. But like you say that's kind of like a bit of I don't know kidology in it. You know, yeah, you, you want you want your kids to carry on enjoying the time there, just like they say. Like, um, you know, my lad. Whenever you paddleboarding, whether it's in the summer or not, wetsuit always because I just think if you're cold, one. Kids will get colder quicker than adults anyway. They can't regulate their own body temperature properly. I know I can push myself when I'm cold, but I remember what it was like when I was seven and I had dad screaming at us. So I, you know, I touched on this briefly with, um, with Jonathan on one of the other podcasts when he was talking about the benefits that sailing's had for him and things like that. And oh how, yeah, how it yeah, was a challenge massively. being... Massively. Well, he was saying how, you know, how it was a challenge being a young kid because um, it's cold and wet. It was I, Well, I said to him, do you remember <laughs> this? I said to him, I was like, I remember speaking to dad when I was... I think it must have been twenty, twenty-one, And I was like, yeah, I was like, sailing's mint. I was like, but my wet suit was like, they were never dry. And he went, oh, no, sometimes you used to just don't kill us in cold water before you put them on. So you put a cold one, <laughs> so it's like character building. And I look at it now and I think, proper abuse that. <laughs> like, <laughs> but <it> did you good <laughs> in a long one, no oh, Well, they're only cold until you've had it on for like a few minutes. But again, you're, I think building that resilience up to have a good mindset to deal with things that later life helps. So obviously touching yeah. on it very briefly is the aftercare for dealing with anything traumatic um you know it's been proven that obviously dealing with something traumatic might not affect you at all it might not affect you for years and then something else might happen it might bother you we we have a thing called trim mm. um with a search team it's come from the military and it's to mitigate risk about um you know developing uh, a, a problem later down the line yeah. with, with your mental health yeah. i know you're a trim practitioner for the team but you you him work as well aren't you yeah it's something that's advocated quite a lot there's um it's been pushed now as well in expedition and remote medicine um psychological injury for people who have dealt with um this sort of thing again uh, last year i watched a presentation about uh it was a doctor she was delivering it um they were on an expedition in the arctic circle i think it was it was towards the top end of norway um, with a group of young people, similar sort of work to what Ocean Youth Trust would do. So they'd take a group of people in the outdoors. Yeah. These these were part of like a survey being done, and it was to teach them life skills and things like that. And at like daft o'clock in the morning, they got woke up by like a frantic radio message from a, a party that wasn't too far away, asking for help, and all they heard was polar bear so, oh, they, so they, they got they got pa- some life skills they, then. <laughs> they certainly did. Um, they packed yeah. up their, their group and made their way there. Obviously they're the only people around in that sort of environment. And they had to manage the scene after a polar bear attack. Yeah. Um, you know, right you know, understandably this doctor was, you know, it affected her. You could tell just from her presentation it had affected her. Yeah. Um, and she that would said terrific. Dealing, yeah. dealing with well, dealing with any animal yeah. thing like that would be but bad. She, she was saying what was hard was she had to ask these teenagers to to do things on scene which would have been difficult for any adult to deal with let alone a yeah. young adult yeah. but then afterwards it's a crime scene when something like that happens mm. um, but then afterwards I had to look after their their mental well-being to make sure that they were you know, about as alright you could be after dealing with something like that Um. but then when they got back to the UK she was saying that she didn't really have anyone check on her Um. I've found this in work a bit because like I say being one of the trim um, coordinators for the, the stuff I do I can get missed out me sometimes, um. You know, luckily enough, I've got the, the fortitude to go. I need help here, you know. And what I would always ask if I if I felt I need it. Yeah. My colleagues are brilliant, and so you know everyone would say the same thing. You know, the circle of people you work with look after you. Um. But there's always that. You know, you need to ask for help, and I know it's been pushed within the search and rescue team that like if you're not all, it's all right to not be all right. Um. But yeah, yeah. The, the psychological injury in, in the outdoors is being we more focus in the last sort of couple of years. That yeah. Um, but, but I mean, well, if if you read um Aaron Ralston's book, you know the story from the guy who trapped his arm when he was climbing. Oh yeah. And he and he cut his own arm off. Um. In in that he talks about his mental health afterwards. The, yeah. The books, the the film, brilliant. You know, he he was an advisor on the film, but the books amazing. Um. And he he talks about afterwards like the impact it had. Um. It changed his whole outlook on life. You know, as as it would do as any, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um. He he touches on that as well. Um, you know, I think that was one of the only few times I think you could go. He could have done with having a proper tourniquet. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and maybe, maybe a better leverman and stuff. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but then again, I don't think you know if you look at him, that was like a freak accident. And I think yeah, yeah. The other thing with that is as well, the film is very good, but you're led to believe he was just this guy. who's a bit sort of like risk averse, and he's just unfortunate to have an accident. Yeah. The guy is actually a really experienced climber. Um, he works for mountain rescue services. He worked in an outdoor shop. Yeah. Um, he'd winter soloed all the 1400s. Yeah. You know, he was a very, very experienced climber. Freak accident. Just just totally freak accident. Like, you'd enjoy it, the book. Yeah, yeah, book, yeah. Book, I, really people good. recommended it, but I've always just kind of, like... No, I've the, changed it off because I've seen the film, but I might... No, the book it's like anything, <laughs> in not The book's always going to be different. It's like the film, but just really slow. Yeah. I mean, no. w- that's one thing that's d- definitely... I, c- I can give huge credit to... to especially our search and rescue team, because I know they do it, is like the the aftercare they do for dealing with anything traumatic um, that isn't pleasant, you know, like unfortunately the times you know, when you have to do like body recovery or, you know, you might come across a hanging and things like that. Because I've been on the team now, like, you know, nearly 10 years, not had anything that's really, you know, we've dealt with a lot. I wouldn't say anything's really bothered me loads, but mm. I do remember coming across one incident that it did bother me. Yeah. Um, now, I I sort of like dealt with it, because quite luckily when there's a team of you, there's a few of you there, so yeah, you all see the yeah. same not nice thing, and and you know, um, and I remember sort of coming home and being like, right, I'm just gonna I'm gonna take the dog out for a walk because I need time to process in my own head what what I've dealt with, um, but then when I got asked, you know, because they phone you up like that day and the day after, um. One of our mates, Mark, for me went. You all right after after today? I went not really, but you know, speak to me tomorrow because I'm trying to just process it myself. He went, yeah, yeah, fair enough. And what was really good is that that one time that he rang and I went, no, nah, not really, mate. I'm just going to go for a walk and, and clear my head again. Yeah. Mate, I got myved. I got like a phone call nearly every day for like a week, and then two, three weeks down, I got another one being like, just checking you all right. And at first, because I'd not encountered it with our team, because. I'd not needed to At first I felt a little bit Like it was overkill But looking back on it now I am glad that You know It's pushed the way that it is Because yeah. It is someone checking That you're alright Because yeah. I mean I think You know Being being a young lad You know Especially blokes And the circles that You know We're in Anyone ex-military Anything, anything like You know Hardy outdoor types Who are like You know climbers that Everyone thinks that They're like Completely invincible And well armed And like They don't have to say anything But you an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Simple as. If you've yeah. got that attitude that like, well, nothing will ever affect me, well, it will. Yeah. Because all you're doing is not dealing with it, you know. Yeah. Um, but on, or you could be a complete freak in and it not bother you later down the line. Yeah. But, you know, nine times out of ten, you're going to have a moment where you're a bit like, no, it wasn't good that. Yeah. Um, plus as well, you know, you can have like a, a building block effect where you can have like four or five things, you know, that you come across that aren't a problem become complacent because like well I've, I've done I've, you know I've moved loads of dead bodies it's not a problem and yeah. then you might find one that's like you know a bit older or a bit younger yeah. and things like that you know so I think although not necessarily first aid but definitely looking after yourself having dealt with like you know an event yeah it's well worth having someone to sort of have a chat to Look, again this has been I don't want I don't really want to go down the whole Covid thing is everywhere at the minute but this has been something that's been noticed in like healthcare and the recent past sort of year. Yeah. People who work in A and E and IC mainly ICU, to be honest with you, yeah, they I think they've been hammered way more than, than anywhere else. Um they've they've seen an increase in staff sort of burnout and things. Yeah. Yeah. Um and that but I mean that's something we can touch on at a later date. I think the the there is a push in expedition medicine at the minute. Um like everything it's forever changing. Mm. Um it's such a big aspect of stuff and this this is probably the one area in, uh, that i'm most interested in 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 terms of the way i, I want to see my sort of career go at some point yeah um so i'll be more than happy to come on again and, and yeah 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 definitely stuff. yeah i think what i'll say just just as a wrap it up now because we're about an hour in i think um so the key point to take away from this episode is you've stayed in because i know that some people might have found it a bit boring this one <clears throat> however what i would say is um definitely get some training uh before you do anything else. I think, you know, any sort of first aid course is, is worth doing. But w obviously when places open up, I know Plassey Brennan's a fantastic example. You can go and just as a normal person, not you have to be a leading leader enough, you can go and do a rec first aid course. Yeah. You know, they're they're just one person, a little plug for them. That you can go and do that type of first aid qualification. Um uh, St John's do them all, all over the show you only have to google St John's Ambulance to find mm-hmm. our close one you know uh, and most employers now will put you through a first aid work course so what I would say is you get is, paid more normally no? yeah yeah is um is you know get some training done some quality training and then make sure it's in date uh, and, and keep on top of it and if you're heading outside obviously into, into the outdoors just carry a basic first aid kit uh, obviously if you're doing anything a bit more then you know have the training to go with carrying anything mm. a bit and the bit means more. to contact help as well yeah 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 exactly yeah cool mate thanks for coming on and having yeah, a chat no worries it's been good uh, it's been great guys thank you all for tuning in and listening again uh any questions on any of this stuff though please feel free to you know to, to drop me a message and i'll um i'll answer it as best as i can and if i, if I can't answer those questions i'll forward you on to people that i know can can answer those questions all right guys thanks for tuning in stay safe goodbye